The Read to Lead Podcast, Episode 74. Hi, I'm Susan Rowan, author of How to Work a Room, The Ultimate Guide to Making Lasting Connections in Person and Online. Get ready, because you're about to make a lasting connection with another successful and inspiring author. It's the Read to Lead Podcast with my friend, Jeff Brown. I think where a lot of people go wrong is that they come up with an idea and then they immediately say, okay, it's time to share it with the world. The problem is that the idea may not be quite ready for prime time yet. Welcome to the Read to Lead podcast with Jeff Brown. Jeff believes that if you desire to achieve true success in business and in life, then consistent and intentional reading is a must. The Read to Lead podcast will not only help you narrow this ever important reading list, but also bring you key insights and valuable feedback from some of today's most successful and inspiring authors. And now, here's Jeff. Hi there, and welcome to the podcast dedicated to your personal and professional growth. And one of the ways we achieve that each week is to sit down with a successful and inspiring author. We talk about his or her latest book and their unique insights on things like leadership, personal development, career, marketing, business, and entrepreneurship. And in today's episode, we sit down with Dory Clark. She's the author of Stand Out, How to Find Your Breakthrough Idea and Build a Following Around It. And I'm going to be asking Dory about why she and I both believe that standing out is no longer optional, getting past the assumption that you are not capable of big ideas, effective ways to distinguish yourself in your niche, and a lot more. I am very, very excited to let you know that since you and I last met, it has been confirmed that the Read to Lead podcast is one of 10 finalists for Best Business Podcast at this year's Podcast Awards happening in April in Las Vegas, Nevada. We would love it if you would consider casting a vote for the show, which you can do every day through March 24th. 2015. All you have to do is go to podcastawards.com and look for us under the business category as Read to Lead. Again, that's podcastawards.com and you can cast a vote every 24 hours every day from now through March 24th. And of course, be sure to vote for any other podcasts you enjoy as well. When you support our sponsors, you help support the Read to Lead podcast. We appreciate the help from Blinkist. They serve up written and audio business book summaries right inside their app with a couple of plans to suit your needs, including one free summary every day. If you'd like to find out more about them, visit readtoleadpodcast.com slash Blinkist. We're also thankful to lynda.com, a great site to check out if you've got something you want to learn more about. Teachers from all over the country offering video tutorials for just about every topic under the sun. To find out more about Linda, read to leadpodcast.com slash Linda. Dory Clark is a marketing and strategy consultant and a frequent contributor to Harvard Business Review, also entrepreneur and Forbes. Her first book I highly recommend called Reinventing You, and she consults and speaks to a diverse range of clients, and those clients include Google, the World Bank, Microsoft, and Morgan Stanley, among others. She's also an adjunct professor of business administration at Duke University's Fuqua School of Business. Her latest book is available for pre-order at the time we're recording this conversation called Stand Out, How to Find Your Breakthrough Idea 
and build a following around it. Dory, welcome to the Read to Lead podcast. We are excited to have you here. Jeff, I am pumped for our conversation. Thanks for having me. You know what I mean when I talk about this sort of new world of work uh, that we're facing. And I'm really excited to be reading your book. I am loving the book. And I'm glad that you are taking on uh, this topic because I think too few people are, are, are taking these ideas into consideration that things are changing and it's time to get ready for that change or else. That's exactly right. If if we are not paying attention, if we are not keeping up, it is really easy for even uh, you know white collar professionals, knowledge workers, to be left behind. Um, but the the plus side of that, because you know that's that's a little bit scary and a little bit alarming, is that we have more opportunities than ever if we're willing to seize them. And so that's part of what has been really exciting for me in the process of of researching and writing, reinventing you, and now stand out. Well, the term thought leadership is referenced often and early in the book. So, so let's define that phrase so everybody has a context. What, what are the traits of thought leadership in, in your view, Dory? Yeah, thank you, Jeff. So I, I, I think I wanted to tackle thought leadership head on because some people love it as a term. You know, it, it's sort of a worthy thing to aspire to. Other people uh, are a little bit troubled by it. They think that it, it <laughs> is maybe uh, a little pompous, a little self-aggrandizing, that it's this uh, th- this idea of people going nuts with self-promotion, <laughs> you know, sort of like uh, everybody was calling themselves a ninja five <laughs> or ten years ago, and now everybody's a thought leader. Uh, but I actually think that, that if you really break down the definition of thought leadership, that it is something that is a worthy goal. And so the way that I think about it is that, you know, there's two parts to it, right? There's thought and leader. Thought implies that this is a person of substance. This is not just a random celebrity. This is someone who is not famous for being famous. They're famous for their ideas. And that that's something that I think we need more of uh, in, in terms of our discourse. The other part, the other equally important part is leader which means that by definition, you have to have followers. Mm -hmm. It is a great thing for people to be experts. And in fact, some people said to me, well, why don't you just, you know, why don't you just use the term expert? Isn't that, you know, the same as, or isn't that a better term than thought leader? And, you know, I'll use it sometimes and it is a useful term, but I think it's less useful in the sense that you can be an expert and have absolutely no impact on the world around you. Because if you were stuck in an ivory tower, if you were not communicating what you know to people and getting them excited about it and getting them mobilized about it, then it's, it's you know, these embers are burning, but, you know, it's just going to die with you. Somehow, if we really care about our, our idea, our movement, our, our product, our service, our cause, we have to get other people on board to uh, become just as fired up about it. And that's where being a thought leader really comes in. I know as a young person growing up, that was many years ago now, but as a young person growing up, I very much had certain assumptions about what my lot in life was in the sense that, you know, when it came to grandiose ideas or or cool technology or this or that, that was for somebody much smarter than me to figure out, much smarter than me to execute. And I think that goes for a lot of people. So speak, if you would, Dory, to the assumptions that that many of us make the big ideas, you know, are reserved for, for a rare breed of people. And what are some of the steps we can take to develop our own big ideas? I think this is such an important point, Jeff, because 
it, it used to be that there really were structural barriers that made things very difficult for people. I mean, I, I don't want to overstate that. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's simply untrue that uh, 50 years ago or even 20 years ago, people would have had equal opportunity to be able to, to do things. Um, you know, I remember being, uh, a, you know, a teenager who wanted to be a rock star and it was, you know, the greatest <laughs> thing in the world when my parents, uh, you know, bought a little studio time for me to make my own cassette <laughs> and that cost, you know, hundreds of dollars. And, and, you know, that was from some local guy named Bob, <laughs> you know, if I wanted to actually make a real record that real people bought, you know, that would have been tens of thousands of dollars. And, you know, I would have had to know people people in New York or no people in, in Los Angeles to be able to get it done. But, you know, we're, a lot of us are just stuck in that same mentality. We haven't really uh, forced ourselves to update our thinking. Mm. Now we, we have the possibility. I mean, this is, it's, it's literally like, um, you know, the, the JetBlue has a, a, a great uh, tagline for some of their commercials. It says, go, there's nothing stopping you. <laughs> and I, I think that, uh, that it's really true that in a lot of ways, it's just us stopping ourselves. We and we do this by making justifications by saying, "Oh, well, you know, that's 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 for somebody else. You know, geniuses can can think this up or do this." Or I'm no Elon Musk. I'm no Richard Branson. But the truth is, you know, we're not saying, "Oh, yeah, you have to start a company and go to the moon." Uh, it's not about that. It's about saying, "Don't be afraid." to put yourself out there. Don't be afraid to think big. And it could be in the world for sure. It could be in the galaxy, but it, it can be in your company. Why can't you change that policy? Why can't you argue to create a, a new product or a new initiative? Why can't you be the one raising your hand saying, you know what, let's just pilot this. Let's just try it and see how it goes. And it's the people who are willing to do that in our current economy that are going to reap disproportionate benefits. Well, there's going big for sure. There's also value in, in niching down, depending on your passions and your goals. And Dory gets into this a bit in chapter two of the book. Dory, what if you're not sure where to start? What would you say to that person? So I can I can absolutely relate. I mean, uh, David Galenson, who uh, is a, a cool guy who I actually have had the, the pleasure of meeting personally, um, but is also a University of Chicago professor. He talks uh, a little bit, uh, and it, this was actually popularized by, by writings that Malcolm Gladwell has done. He talks about two different kinds of people. He's studying artists. And, he's, and I think it's true for, for artists, but also maybe for the rest of us. And one kind of artist is like Picasso, where from the beginning, you know, the, the, practically the minute they walk out of the womb, the minute they walk out of art school, they know exactly what they want to do. They've got a vision. It's all about executing that vision. But then you have, you have other artists where it takes a much longer period of time. It's, it's, it's almost an iterative process mm. that you have, to, you have to kind of come into your own. You have to kind of learn who you are. And that's slower. It's more frustrating sometimes. But it also means in the end you can get a, a very rich uh, product because you've been able to, you've been exposed to a lot of ideas and you really have found something that, that just sings, just resonates with who you are. And so if you don't know immediately, you know, what your niche is going to be or where you want to make your impact, 
that's fine. Uh, this is actually something that I talk about uh, a lot in my first book, Reinventing You, as well. For, for people who are uh, trying to find the place where they want to make their impact, there's a lot of things that I think are, are overlooked as possibilities. One of them, uh, which, is, which is one of my favorites because it, it kills multiple birds with one stone, is actually uh, charitable board service. Uh, a lot of people just think of that in the category of giving back, mm. which it certainly is. You know, it's a nice thing to do to give back to causes you care about. I also encourage people to think of it as a form of professional development because you're volunteering Unless you come up with something that is truly a stupid idea, if you <laughs> raise your hand and say, hey, can we try this? If you're willing to do it for free, they're probably going to say yes. And that means for any aspect of your professional life that you want to explore, that you want to learn more about, this is your playground. At your job, you, you are expected to have a reasonable level of competence in the work that you do. But in your volunteer time, you know what? If you say, let's start a web video series and you're no good at it and you're just learning, okay, you know, you, you, you just, you take the time, you get better, you iterate, and, uh, and that's how you're able to learn by doing what you like, what you don't like, and build your skills so that you can then take it into other areas of your life. Well, well, some of us have the opposite problem. You, know, you have so many passions, it's hard to focus on one. And I know, Dory, uh, that was the case uh, for you several years ago. How, how did you tackle that problem with so many things to the directions that you could go? Well, you know, one, one way that people can do this, Jeff, and this is a way that, that I did myself in terms, of, uh, in terms of finding a niche, was actually, uh, you could say, letting the market vote. Mm. And what I mean by that is that it is really hard for a lot of people, even, you know, very, very smart thinkers, um, to know what is actually going to resonate with people. Uh, you know, this is, this is why uh, Hollywood movies still fail all the time, even though, you know, they've been doing this for uh, nearly 100 years and spend millions of dollars. Um, there's a lot of unpredictable elements. And so what is actually not a bad way for people to approach this is to uh, to simply try a lot of small experiments. This is something that, you know, for people who are interested in this, the book Little Bets by Peter Sims talks yeah. about it. Um, the Lean Startup by Eric Ries, uh, who's actually somebody that I profile in Standout, uh, t talks about it. But it's about taking small controlled bets and then seeing what will stick. And so in my case, um, my first book, Reinventing You, actually arose out of being a blog post that I wrote for the Harvard Business Review. Now, I write plenty of blog posts, um, but for, for some reason, this one post that I did in November of 2010, it was called How to Reinvent Your Personal Brand, uh, it kind of caught on. It got a lot of views. It got a lot of attention. And so HBR actually asked me if I would then expand it and turn it into a magazine piece for, uh, for the Harvard Business Review magazine. Mm. And I did. And when that came out, literally the week it came out, I had three different literary agents approach me <laughs> and ask if I was represented and if I would be interested in turning it into a book. Now, this sounds like a really lucky break, but the, the backstory is that I had been trying literally for close to two years before that to get a book published. <laughs> I'd written multiple proposals. Nobody even wanted to talk to me <laughs> because I wasn't famous enough or they didn't like the ideas. And then finally, 
you know, this thing clicked <laughs> and it worked, but it wouldn't necessarily have been the thing that I predicted would work. Mm. So I'm a big fan of taking small controlled bets or experiments. If you're more like that first group that Dory and I talked about where you struggle with coming up with ideas, you know, one thing you might want to consider doing is visiting a site like lynda.com. They're one of our sponsors this week. Even if it's not to, to access any of their courses, but just to look at what's out there to get an idea of what people are really gravitating to and, and what the needs are or maybe find a hole uh, that you can fill. Right now, they've got this special deal going on where because you listen to this podcast, you can access every tutorial, every video, every course on their site free for 10 days with no obligation whatsoever. Whether it's web development, photography, visual design, business, learning Excel, WordPress, Photoshop, setting new financial goals, whatever it is, there's a course at Linda that can help. And again, maybe hone some of these ideas that you're struggling coming up with or narrowing them down if you're on that side of the equation. I'd love for you to check it out. Again, it's free for 10 days when you go to readtoleadpodcast.com slash Linda. Well, then chapter uh, three uh, gets into the need for providing new data and new research. And I think, uh, Dory, for most of us, when we hear that term research, it's easy to get overwhelmed. You know, I'm just one person. I don't have a big budget. There, there's no time. What do you say in, in response to those kinds of objections? Yeah, I, I I definitely relate, Jeff. I mean, for for a lot of people, if you say, "Oh, do research," they, you know, they envision something like, "Oh, you should go get your PhD," and then, uh, you know, which which obviously people don't have the uh, the time or the money or the inclination to you know to do these sort of massive, expensive projects. Um, but really, the a point that that I want to make in stand out is that um, in in today's opinion driven discourse you know we, you read you read the web and there's actually in a lot of ways not that much news on it and what i mean is that if you if you're talking about real journalism real uh real information that has been independently researched is you know verified uh, that is in scarce supply mm. compared to the large numbers of people who read an article somewhere else and say, oh, that's interesting, and then they write their opinion about it. Opinion is cheap. Actual, you know, grappling with the facts or the data or original sources is very rare because there's very few people who are willing to take the time to do that. And so it actually becomes a real way that you can separate yourself from the competition to do your own primary research. And this, you know, this doesn't necessarily mean becoming a journalist and interviewing people yourself, although it, you know, it could be to a certain extent. Um, you don't, you know, you don't even have to be a, a journalist, but just being a good blogger means instead of, uh, you know, here's what I think about Microsoft or, you know, about Apple. It's okay. Well, can you interview someone who, uh, who works there? Can you interview someone who is an analyst covering them or, you know, whatever. So there's actual data. Um, but one person that, that I profile, his name is Michael Waxenberg. Um, he was actually able to build up a very lucrative side career for himself interestingly enough, simply by doing real estate reviews because his, his family 
was looking to buy an apartment in New York City, and he decided he was going to make himself an expert. So he's visited, over the course of a decade, he visited more than a thousand multi-bedroom brownstones, Mm. uh, you know, in the Upper West Side in New York. Uh, He made made the Upper West Side his specialty. He wrote very, very detailed reviews of them and, uh, you know, on this this website called Street Easy. And he became so renowned for his knowledge, even though he wasn't a realtor, he was getting people saying, oh, can you help me? Can you represent me? And he'd have to say, well, you know, I, I would, but I'm not a realtor. And f- he got so good. Finally, a realtor reached out to him and said, look, I'll sponsor you. Um, so the people came to him, but it could be product reviews. It could be, uh, you know, going to open houses. It could be, you know, doing a small survey. It could be just interviewing some key people. But the key thing is to contribute something new. Don't just rehash what everybody else is saying. Well, talk about, if you would, Dory, the importance of considering the possibility of maybe uh, combining uh, ideas and, and maybe disciplines in a unique way. Maybe there's a case study from the book that, that illustrates this uh, very, very well. This is actually one of the most fun parts of, uh, of coming up with new ideas and innovating. Um, because, you know, if, if you think about it, there, there, to a certain extent, is really nothing new under the sun. I mean, ev- ev- <laughs> it would be almost impossible for somebody to come up with an idea right now that literally the world has never seen anything like before. I mean, th- this would be fairly shocking because, you know, we all grow up in, in a certain cultural milieu and we, we build naturally on the knowledge of other people. We build on what's come before. Um, so consequently, the reason innovation is hard is that if you're thinking of, oh, you know, what's the next great, uh, you know, tech breakthrough? Okay, well, you know, I have this smartphone. What? You, oh, I know. Let's make the smartphone half an inch wider. Brilliant. <laughs> you know, and, and it's, it's not that exciting. It's like, okay, well, great. You built on what was there before. Lovely. But the way you can come up with something that actually is genuinely new is to combine ideas from very different fields or disciplines. So if you take smartphones and you try to say, okay, well, what can we learn about smartphones from ballet? Or what can we, you know, oh, that's interesting. Okay, well, how maybe that says, how do you make a smartphone more graceful? How do you make a smartphone more life? Or, okay, how do you make a, what can you learn from a smartphone about, uh, you know, combining that with football? on the other end of the spectrum. Mm. Oh, okay. Maybe you can take some of the technology that they're putting into helmets and crash resistance and trying to prevent concussions. Maybe you somehow bake that into a smartphone so that people are less likely to, to break it or destroy it. So it's about bringing together these really disparate fields to, uh, to come up with new ideas. And just one uh, quick example, I was mentioning Eric Reese earlier from the Lean Startup you know, this has become a phenomenon in Silicon Valley. It's become a best-selling book. And the way he was able to do this is he literally took, you know, lean, the lean process, the lean method, which is uh, pioneered by Toyota. It's a set of best practices used in auto manufacturing and other, you know, sort of heavy industries Mm -hmm. and combined that with startups. I mean, you wouldn't think that how to run an assembly line could teach you anything about how to run a good startup. But he was able to take these ideas, see what fit, and you know, transform it over so that it became relevant to a new field and very, very useful for its practitioners. 
Well, part two of the book gets into a bit about uh, uh, building a following, and you, you hinted at this earlier, around your ideas. In other words, a great idea isn't of much value if no one's ever heard of it. So share a bit, if you would, Dory, about the, the three phases you lay out in this section, building a network, an audience, and a community. Yes, yes, absolutely. Um, so building a following, uh, you know, as we said earlier, is truly critical. Your idea is not going to be heard. It's not going to have the impact it deserves unless it builds uh, a following. And so what I discovered in the course of interviewing uh, these, these folks, uh, you know, these prominent thought leaders in a variety of different fields, is that really there's a three-step process when it comes to building a following around your ideas. The first step is what I call one-to-one idea transmission. Mm. The next Next step, and I'll explain all of these, but the next step is one to many. And then finally, the apex of it is many to many. So in the first piece, one to one, you know, that's that's really you sharing your idea with your trusted small group of advisors. I think where a lot of people go wrong is that they come up with an idea and then they immediately say, okay, it's time to share it with the world. But the problem is that the idea it may not be quite ready for prime time yet. You may need, you know, some some loving feedback from friends and colleagues that you trust to get it to the place that it is most ready to be heard. Also, these people have, uh, you know, ideas, they have connections, they they can help you launch it. So going one to one first is really critical. Second, one to many is where you begin to talk about the idea with the public. This is this is the part that a lot of people think about when they think about, you know, building a following. Mm. It's it's blogging, it's speaking, it's using social media, it's finding ways to to make sure that, you know, you're sort of waving your hand and saying, "Hey, here here's this idea who who finds this interesting? You're allowing people to find you. And then finally, when you have been doing that successfully, this amazing things ha- thing happens <laughs> where you reach a tipping point. And that is where your communication then becomes many to many. And the basic idea behind this is that no matter how good your idea is, if you are the only person who is talking about it, it's going to fail. Mm. Because that's, that's just not enough you know, to gain momentum. It's like having... It's like having one tiny branch burning and you say, okay, yeah, now we're going to have a bonfire. <laughs> and, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't work. You need uh, other people to start being your ambassadors, to start being your evangelists. And so this is actually part of, uh, you know, this goes back to, to the, the DNA of the idea in a lot of ways. If your idea is strong enough, if it has relevance for other people such that they hear it and they say, oh, you know, th- this this really has meaning to me. This offers me something. Then, um, then it will then be successful many to many, and other people want to talk about it. If Sheryl Sandberg's mission, you know, if if the thing that she was telling everyone was, "Hey, buy my book," <laughs> that you know, that's great. <laughs> but you're not going to have millions of people saying, "Yeah, yeah, buy buy the book," you know, because Cheryl's so cool. If that's not a that's not something that has a lot of value to other people. Hmm. But if you have Sheryl Sandberg saying, "You know what?" Women, you should empower yourselves. Here's how to be successful in work and in life. Let's have a conversation about it. All of a sudden, that, that's something that people can say, yeah, that's my message too. I get behind that. And then it spreads. Are, are you familiar with James Altucher's work at all? I am. Uh, I am. Yes. B- both he and his wife have uh, written books recently that I think make great companions to, to the book uh, Stand Out. Uh, James is getting ready to release. and in, in fact, he's 
He's offering now, I think, pre-order for a book called The Choose Yourself Method to Wealth, which looks fascinating. And then his wife just released Becoming an Idea Machine. That's right. Yes. Yeah. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a dedicated listener to their podcast oh, as well. They do great stuff. Well, I'm, I'm hoping to have uh, uh, one or both of them on the show here real soon because as, as I read what they're writing and then as I read uh, your book over the weekend, I'm like, oh man, this, this is really in my wheelhouse right now. And I'm really, really enjoying Stand Out a great deal. So, so thank you again for helping walk us through probably two thirds or more of it here. Before I move on to some, some questions, Dory, not directly related to the book, is there anything else from the book you want to make sure we know? Oh, you know, I, I, I think that the, the last piece that I'd mentioned, Jeff, that just that I, I think is really uh, important is the idea that if you really want to make your ideas stick and grow, um, you have to think about ways to make them fun for other people. Uh, and, and this is one of the ways that, that, I, uh, that I close the book is by telling the story of a friend of mine uh, named Robbie Samuels, who had this goal, he had this mission of wanting to make the nonprofit community in Boston, which he was a part of, work better. Mm. He felt like it's, um, you know, there was a lot of silos, groups didn't talk to each other, but they could, you know, really learn a lot from each other if they did. But when he tried to bring them together, they said, oh, that's nice, that's a good idea, but we're all too busy. And he realized it was never going to work if he, if he just said, oh, this is, you know, let's, let's have another meeting so that we can coordinate better. You know, people weren't going to get excited about that. And so sometimes you, you almost have to you have to outsmart people. You have to think about, you know, what do, they, what, do they, what do they need? Yes. But how do you give it to them in a form that's what they want? And so instead of coming up with, you know, yet another coordinating meeting, he decided to, to create a meetup group. And he called it Socializing for Justice. And it was a group for, uh, for Boston nonprofit advocates and their friends. And every other week they had events. And it was everything from bowling to ju- for justice to trivial pursuit for justice <laughs> to cocktails for justice. And everybody wanted to come because it was fun. And within, within six weeks, there were 150 people coming to their meetings. Mm. And today the group has been going on for nearly nine years and has 2,500 members. And that's, that's the way that you can build momentum, that you can build a following. Um, Robbie got his wish, you know, non nonprofit advocates are coming together. They are meeting each other. They are trading ideas and best practices, but he did it in a way that was different than he originally thought, but far more powerful. Mm. Great story. Great story. Well, one question I ask every guest, Dory, I want you, if you can, to name for us a couple of books that you've read or maybe are currently reading that have impacted you and share with us if you can, how or why they impacted you as they have. Yeah, thank you. Absolutely. Well, one, one book that I love, I love to be an evangelist for, mm. uh, because I, I feel like it really should be part of a classic business canon. And it was a popular book, but I don't think it's gotten the full attention that it deserves is a book by Jeffrey Pfeffer, who's a professor at Stanford's graduate school of business. And it's called power. Why some people have it and others don't. Mm. And it is one of the most insightful books about organizational psychology and how to succeed in corporate environments that I've ever read. Um, so that's one of my 
all-time favorites. And I, I quote uh, Pfeffer pretty extensively in Stand Out and in Reinventing You uh, because he's, he's always got a lot of great ideas. Um, the second book that I'll, that I'll mention, uh, you know, just to pick one that I'm, that I'm literally reading right now, uh, is called Apples Are From Kazakhstan. <laughs> it, it sounds a little random and it is a little random, but, uh, I, I just got back, uh, last month from spending two weeks teaching, uh, M- Kazakhstan. And that's something that, that has been really enjoyable for me mm. over the past few years is to sort of build up the international aspects of my, uh, my practice, um, you know, teaching and speaking and, and consulting. And so I'd never been to Kazakhstan. I'd never been to Central Asia. And so uh, for me, I really enjoy traveling and learning about new parts of the world. And one of the best ways, of course, in addition to going there is to uh, read memoirs and other sort of historical overviews of them. And so uh, now, you know, Kazakhstan is the thing that I'm spending a lot of time reading about. And in fact, it is true that, uh, that apples, as we know them, <laughs> are, uh, are indeed originally from Kazakhstan. So that is uh, the fact of the day for, for everybody, <laughs> all your listeners. I never knew that. Well, I believe, and I think you would agree with this, that, that the ability to effectively share your ideas in public, which you have a chance to do fairly regularly, plays a major role in your level of success or speed with which you experience it. Uh, what are some of your tips for delivering a meaningful and memorable public talk? Well, in terms of in terms of public speaking, I, I do get asked about this a lot. Um, for me, what what really has enabled me to be successful and to get better over the years, because I, I know that I have, is, uh, you know, I mean, the banal answer is practice, but I'll <laughs> tell you specifically what, what kind of practice. Um, I actually, f- I spent uh, several years teaching uh, undergraduates, and, you know, now I primarily do uh, business school and executive ed teaching, but I taught a number of undergraduate classes, including some at Emerson College in Boston, and one of the things that I, that I think was just crazy that Emerson did that no other college I taught for did, um, but you know it was painful but actually fairly useful for me, mm. was that uh, for a four-credit class, they actually require you to do a four-hour class each week. Mm. And so uh, I spent several years uh, spending Monday nights from 6 p.m., to 10 p.m. teaching students. I like to say they came in hungry and they left sleepy <laughs> and I had to entertain them in between. Uh, and so, you know, I think a lot of people, uh, you know, everybody starts out by having a little bit of uh, nervousness or stage fright or whatever. And if, if you're doing it enough, I mean, really what the secret is, is you have to make speaking become banal for you. <laughs> mm. You have to get so comfortable with it that it's like, oh, it's just this other thing that I'm doing. It's not like some special scary thing. <laughs> and so if you if you have to do four hours of teaching per week, um, I'm now at the point where if somebody says, hey, can you give a lecture? If it's anything less than four hours, I'm just like, sure, no problem. When? Right now? Okay. Piece of cake. Yeah. So, uh, so that, that heightened level of practice and experience has been really helpful. The other thing that I'd say, too, is just that, um, you know, and, and it ties in, is acting not nervous um, you know, shows shows a level of confidence that creates a virtuous circle because the audience wants you to succeed. They don't want to be, 
enduring a bad speaker. Mm. It's a win-win for them <laughs> if you do well. And so if, if you're acting like you're in command of the room and you're not freaking out, they're going to give you the benefit of the doubt and they're going to be responding from the beginning more positively, which, you know, that reinforcement um, makes you feel yet more confident and it, it leads to, uh, to better outcomes and, uh, you know, a, a more satisfying experience. I watched, I think it was a TEDx talk that you did. Yeah, uh, yeah, I did do one of those recently. And I, I was just really impressed with, uh, you You came off as, as so polished and, and uh, it, never at a point though did I feel like that that I was watching something that was rehearsed. Does that make sense? It sounded or felt just very uh, conversational, but every word was carefully chosen. It was just fascinating to watch. Oh, thank you. I, I appreciate that. And you know, it's it's great when that comes through because you know, for that for that event in particular, um, I was just getting over a cold, mm. and so the thing that was going through my mind for the entire duration of the speech is. Don't cough. Don't <laughs> cough. <laughs> I've been like sucking these menthol drops and like doing everything I could because I, I, I knew that if I let my guard down, I would have like this hacking fit on oh, stage. No. And I'm like, no, you can't do that, Dory. <laughs> so uh, so that, that was where my head was. So mm. I, I'm, I'm glad that, uh, that it came across as uh, being polished. Thank you, Jeff. Well, uh, 100 years from now, uh, Dory, what do you ultimately hope to, to be remembered for? Well, I, it's, uh, it's, it's lofty and I, and I, you know, I know there's, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of great, uh, people that a hundred years ago were doing amazing things that nobody's talking about now. Mm. So, uh, so, you know, I would, I would be okay with that too, honestly, because mm. I know the tides of, of history, you know, th- people go in, in favor, out of favor, all of that. Right. But if I uh, if I were remembered for something, I, I would I would like it to be my books, and I would like it to be uh, for the fact that I helped other people figure out how to how to get their best ideas noticed. Mm-hmm. For me, it is a real problem. It, it is something that really bothers me. The fact that um, there's a lot of people with very good ideas that could help the world, that could help society. And no one is listening to them mm. because these folks are held back because they don't know the right way to communicate about them or they don't know the right way to get that message across. And, you know, so, some people are holding themselves back because they have the attitude, oh, well, you know, I'm not going to self-promote. Uh, you know, that's that's stupid. That's just for crass people and you know the the virtue rises to the top and you know yes yes and um but i think that that people have the wrong idea sometimes when it comes to what self-promotion looks like or whatever it is not selling out to try to be strategic about how to make sure your ideas get listened to that is part of having the idea it's not enough to just have the idea. You also have to make sure people listen. And if you have the tools, if you're able to, to really do that successfully, my hope is that we will get a better product overall in society because the best ideas, I mean, if everyone's on the same level playing field, then yes, the best ideas will win. And I want that world. But we're only going to get to that world if everybody is equally smart about using the tools of communication and, you know, being strategic about how to present these ideas to other people so that they even get listened to from the beginning. So if I can help better ideas 
get heard and get implemented in the world, that would make me happy. I mentioned at the outset that uh, while the book is not officially out yet, it is available for pre-order. We'll put a link to that uh, in the show notes. Is it too soon to ask what's next for you, Dory? What are you working on now that you're excited about? Or is it mainly just uh, letting everybody know about the book? Well, you know, I, I actually do have a uh, a new thing that I am working <laughs> on, which has not been officially uh, announced, oh, okay. but but will be soon. So I, I'm happy to to tell people about it so that they can uh, maybe, you know, f- flag it for the future, okay. which is uh, that, that sometime this summer, uh, so a couple months after Standout is released, um, I have an ebook that is going to be coming out as well. So it's, uh, you know, sh- shorter, smaller, but, uh, but nonetheless packed with pithy insights. <laughs> uh, and it is about networking and how to mm. do networking the right way. Um, so for people who, uh, who might, you know, have found reinventing you or stand out of interest, uh, this will be another, uh, collection of my works that, um, that hopefully they might, they might enjoy. I know you, you, speaking of networking, when I think that word, I think of a guy right here in my, in my town named Dave Delaney, who I know you also recently did an interview with, if I'm not mistaken, right? I sure did. <laughs> Dave Delaney's great. Awesome. Well, Dory, I feel as if we're kindred spirits of sorts because I, too, as a young person, had dreams of being a rock star, much to my parents' chagrin. <laughs> <laughs> were you a drummer? Was that leading to their chagrin? <laughs> uh, well, thank, thankfully for them, no. I uh, I played bass guitar. Oh, yeah. Sang lead in a band, wrote songs, and, 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 and was the biggest Billy Joel fan ever. That's that's fantastic. I, I am I am right there with you in, uh, you know, the, the re- recovered... Uh, aspiring teenage rock star <laughs> category. Um, I, I too realized that it would never work out for me because I get, uh, I get really motion sick on, uh, on buses. Oh, wow. and I, I thought that like, Whoa, a life of touring, that would, <laughs> that would just be deadly. <laughs> so I might as well be a business author, That's right. <laughs> but I, but I love it. It's kind of like being a rock star, you know, it's like you give this, you know, you're not singing, but you give this like empowering message to the masses. So it's kind of the same flavor, I think. Absolutely. And, and you're on a stage. Yeah, totally. <laughs> well, Dory, it has been a thrill to have you on. As, as I mentioned at the outset, I'm loving the book. I'm getting a whole lot out of it. So thank you for writing it. Thank you for sharing it with us today. And, th- and thank you most of all for your time. We really, really appreciate it. Oh, thank you so much, Jeff. Great, great to be on the show. I really mean it when I say I'm thoroughly enjoying this book. It is available for pre-order right now. We've put a link to it in the show notes. Consider connecting with Dory on Twitter. She's at, at Dory Clark. On Twitter, the Read to Lead podcast is often a great way to kick off a conversation with one of our guests. Everything you'd like to know about Dory and the new book, plus the resources, books, and other links that she and I talked about can be found at the page created especially for this episode. It's called the show notes page, and you'll find that at readtoleadpodcast.com slash 074. Remember our sponsors, Blinkist and Linda, readtoleadpodcast.com slash Blinkist and readtoleadpodcast.com slash Linda. And finally, I want to remind you one last time to vote every day now through March 24th and help the Read to Lead podcast become the best business podcast. We're one of 10 finalists. You can cast your vote starting right now at podcastawards.com. That's podcastawards.com. Well, that's going to do it for this week. I look forward to seeing you next time for the Read to Lead podcast. 
Thanks so much for listening to the Read to Lead podcast. As a subscriber, we challenge you to be more than just a passive listener. Become a vital member of the community. Visit us on the web at readtoleadpodcast.com. Until next time, remember, leaders read and readers lead. I play nights in the Spanish part of town. I've got music in my hand. The work is hard to find, but that don't get me down. Rosalinda understands. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a Swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.